This is a Piccolo podcast production. In this episode, we head to Russia's Transvaal Park. The water park opened in Moscow in 2002, only to be shut down two years later. I'm Holly Mitchell. You're listening to Fairground Fuck Ups. Russia has always had a fraught relationship to the Western world. In many ways, the one-time seat of the Soviet Republic has defined itself in opposition to the English-speaking, democratic nations. Maintaining that they embody all the positive social ideals that the decadent West, particularly the United States of America, have discarded in favour of self-serving, socially destructive capitalism. At the same time, Russia seems to use the same standard of success as the West, giving them the means to boast that they can and do surpass anything that the United States can do. Decades of unremitting hostility are not easily left behind, and the lingering effect of the Iron Curtain means that for common people of nations, on either side, it is difficult to trust anything that we hear about the other. Are the reports of widespread financial hardship a reflection of life in modern Russia? Or is it propaganda spread in an effort to destabilise the country? At the same time, one wonders what the citizens of Russia, those who may be curious enough to wonder themselves, hear of day-to-day life in England, the US, or even Australia. The 1995 film Citizen X is the tale of the manhunt for Russia's notorious real-life killer, Andrei Chikatilo. In a scene where the beleaguered detective is asked to justify the resources he is called upon to catch this monster, and more importantly, the attention of the media and the public eye that he has drawn upon the situation. The character pleads that, as this is clearly the work of a serial killer, surely there can be no cost too great to apprehend their target. There is a moment of silence from the political officers. Then one of them responds, There are no serial killers in the Soviet state. It is a decadent Western phenomenon. That film recounts the difficulties faced by the investigators in their pursuit. When the political leaders refuse to acknowledge the very existence of the crisis, while simultaneously portraying an idealised image of the nation to the world. How can the truth be uncovered when the powers that be work so hard to keep it obscured? It is easy to see how this attitude could create systematic problems in dealing with extraordinary crimes or man-made disasters. But when one thinks about it for a moment, it also makes it understandable that such a nation would be so desperate to build their cities, their communities and a society that can be normal. When trying to deal with every problem that people encounter in the West, as well as battling to present a perfect face to the rest of the world and their own citizens, it's no wonder that a lot of enthusiasm could be built around something simple, something fun, something for the family. A theme park, for instance. Of course, in the former Soviet Union, nothing is ever as simple as people want it to be. Take, for instance, the legendary Pripyat Amusement Park. Situated in the province from which it gets its name, Pripyat is itself part of a large city park, intended to provide locals with one more family-friendly option for a day out of the house. 
completed in 1986 in time for the celebration of International Workers' Day, a most Russian holiday, Pripyat has endured as one of its nation's icons, thanks largely to the impressively crafted Ferris wheel at its heart. Just how many families have delighted in the amusements to be found, you may ask? Well, that's where it gets complicated. You see, while Pripyat Amusement Park remains intact to this day, it was never officially opened to the public. The reason? The 1986 Chernobyl disaster. Pripyat is located only a few kilometres away from the Chernobyl nuclear power facility, which experienced a critical reactive failure on the 26th of April, sending radioactive particles over a near 30 kilometre radius and forcing the evacuation of almost 120,000 people. Pripyat Amusement Park is the foremost of the world's abandoned theme parks and has seeped into popular culture, most notably being featured as a location in several popular video game franchises, as well as television and novels. To the world at large, it could be little more than the common dread fascination with the macabre. For Russians, it stands as a monument to the admittedly universal question. Why can't we have nice things? Rumours persist that, in an effort to convince local communities and the wider Soviet state that there was no cause for alarm, Pripyat Park was open to the public the day following the disaster. Before any notice of evacuation was given, no one has ever been able to confirm this, though apparently footage of the park in operation does exist, somewhere. This is a microcosm of the Russian experience, the desire to enjoy life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, while dealing with the pressures that inevitably spoil the best laid plans, the need to convince the world that everything is awesome all the time while frantically trying to hide any scrap of evidence of the contrary. It is into this society and culture that Nodar Cancelli was born. The son of a Georgian architect, Cancelli would follow the path of family trade and fulfil his obligations as a dutiful citizen by graduating from Civil Engineering College in 1960. Broadly speaking, there is nothing about Cancelli or his family that is particularly notable certainly not in any history book. There is no impressive lineage to famous Russian families, neither he nor his parents were involved in any significant historical events. Nodar Kancheli was, perhaps, an embodiment of the Russian dream, an ordinary man living an ordinary life, devoted to his country, working in its service. All that being said, some of his earliest known work was in being attached to the Soyuz space program which would be the dream of any Russian or Western 10-year-old. He was not, however, building rockets or launch platforms, but rather he was part of the team designing a spa with recreational facilities for returning cosmonauts to recover from their ordeals in space. Two decades of diligent service in government programs eventually brought Cancelli back to the Russian capital and the place of his birth, Moscow. In the 90s, his work was reputedly impressive enough to gain the attention of the city's mayor at the time. His time spent designing buildings for the purpose of recreation and enjoyment must have made their mark, because the string of projects he began for Moscow all tended toward revamping popular sites for tourists, places of cultural heritage such as the Cathedral of Christ the Saviour and a renovation of the landmark Bolshoi Theatre. 
What was Cancelli's unique contribution to such construction projects? What has this ordinary man left behind that has made its mark on history? The centerpiece of all those Moscow projects was a magnificent, high-domed roof supported around the circumference by a series of arched columns. Under these roofs sheltered market stall vendors, ice skaters, religious devotees, and from 2002, thousands of Russian families enjoying all the fun and excitement of an indoor water park. Transvaal Park, opened in June 2002, was the most notable construction project that Nodar Kancheli had been a part of up until that time. A symbol of the booming prosperity the region enjoyed thanks to a new era of private enterprise. The vision was to transport ordinary Muscovites, or any tourist to the city, to another part of the world for the hours they spent there. The project leaders decided upon the distant and exotic vistas of Africa as their theme for a water amusement park where people could enjoy swimming in the large heated pools all year round, even in the bitter and devastating cold of the Russian winter. The park took its name from the South African province of Transvaal and also included a jungle river rapids, a wave pool and water slides. Within weeks of opening, Transvaal Park was one of if not the most popular attraction in Moscow, an unambiguous hit with the fun-loving public. Here, finally, was a great step forward in creating the kind of lifestyle for the people of Russia that would show the nation in step with the rest of the world. A purely recreational facility dressed in cartoonish jungle shacks in bright colours, while overhead the Moscow sky remained visible through the windows. Come to Transvaal Park and be reminded while you're pretending to be in Africa, you're still in Russia. On February 14, 2004, the park enjoyed another day of large, happy crowds and good steady income. While sweethearts in other parts of the world were exchanging Valentine's Day cards, Muscovite families came to escape the freezing conditions outside. As it transpired, Transvaal Park would not see crowds like this again for quite some time. At around 7pm, one of the park patrons named Roman Yazimin made his way from the pools to the upper levels of the complex, where he would pass the rest of his evening in the solarium working on his tan. At 7.15pm, Roman heard a strange screeching sound echoing through the complex, followed by a terrible and thunderous crash accompanied by violent shaking throughout the whole building and the sound of screams. The magnificent domed roof of the complex had collapsed, showering the helpless patrons in the pools below with half a tonne of shattered glass before the steel beams gave way and the entire structure came down upon them. Those who were able to escape being trapped in the ruins of the collapsed roof now face the challenge of finding new shelter from the freezing temperatures now flooding into the park, filled with men, women and children clad in only swimwear. Park attendants made efforts to pull people from wreckage when they could be easily located, but they too were not dressed to cope with sub-zero temperatures. Within the hour, almost 1,000 rescue personnel were dispatched, bringing every piece of equipment Moscow had available, and almost all of them accompanied by well-trained sniffer dogs. They worked throughout the night, locating survivors in the rubble and getting them into warm blankets while paramedics checked for injuries. 
Periodically, all workers would stop and allow deathly silence to reign. In these moments, the cries of victims unable to free themselves could be heard, and efforts would be focused anew. Come sunrise on the Sunday morning, cries for help had ceased, and the rescuers' work had turned to the grim task of recovering the bodies of those killed in the collapse. Already time was against the dedicated crews, with temperatures reaching minus 15 degrees Celsius. Exposure to such cold would already have caused untreatable harm to anyone unfortunate enough to have been trapped poolside, and that was regardless of whatever injuries they may have sustained from the falling concrete and steel. While they would continue to search through another night, speaking to the media, Moscow's Mayor Lushkov relayed the pessimistic assessment of the rescue teams. There is no hope survivors can be found. When the rescue teams finally ceased their work, 193 men, women and children had been treated for serious injuries. The bodies of 20 adult patrons were pulled from the wreckage alongside the bodies of eight children. The shock and terror of this sudden disaster had left the citizens of Moscow and their government officials paralysed with confusion. As the numbness began to wear off, however, the sense of helpless grief began to give way to the fiery wrath of anger. And the conversations, investigations and news cycle began to focus all their energy on a single, all-encompassing question. Who's to blame? It may be unfair to suggest that the echoes of Cold War paranoia still held some sway over the collective attitude of the Russian citizenry, even well into the new millennium. But it is fascinating how quickly not just the public sentiment, but the authorities viewed the tragedy at Transvaal Park with suspicion. Within 48 hours, the Russian press was already leading the news with headlines like Nightmare Park and speculating as to whether the cause of the collapsed roof was negligence or faulty design. They were already calling upon architectural and engineering experts to offer their opinions, and the implications were becoming unsettling. One such expert, architect Viktor Ovsednikov, went so far as to share with the media, the quality of construction work in Russia is very low. The most important thing in Russia is to build something and sell it as quickly as possible, and no one's bothered about what happens further down the line. With one statement, Ovsednikov and the paper he spoke to, the Gazeta, had pointed a finger of blame for all of Moscow to follow and rail against. But more than that, they had planted seeds of doubt as to the quality and safety of construction projects all throughout the city, possibly the country. If Russian construction quality was very low, then was the whole city a potential disaster zone? Any project made in the past 15 years was suspect. While city officials and Russian politicians were approving of the need to find a scapegoat, putting a target on the back of an entire industry was unacceptable. Someone needed to point to an alternative, and quickly. Fortunately, another media outlet had a perfectly acceptable villain to blame. Terrorists. Rumours began to abound, spreading quickly, that Transvaal Park had been the target of a terrorist bombing. Naturally, such a lurid story got a great deal of attention and seemed primed to satisfy some of the public calls for swift justice. The wider implications of such an accusation, however, were even more horrifying than a negligent construction industry. 
Moscow sat at the heart of Russia, and the notion that a successful attack could be planned and executed without warning meant that the security of the state was suspect. This was a potential nightmare scenario. If people began to withdraw from Moscow and other urban centres, then industry and commerce in Russia would slow, and the country would lose standing in the international community. In fairness, there was no evidence at all to suggest that any kind of explosion had occurred. There was no real indication that this could have been an act of terrorism. But once a story has taken root somewhere, it is difficult to stop it from growing. City officials cried insistently, this was not terrorism. But their swift and repeated denials seemed only to embolden those who suspected that some manner of cover-up was taking place. This needed to be dealt with quickly and decisively. Systematic negligence would make Russia look incompetent and terrorism would make her look weak. Neither were acceptable answers and authorities needed to find their scapegoat soon. Mayor Yuri Mikhailovich Lushov knew exactly who to blame. His old friend, Nodar Kancheli. Negligence or incompetence were a perfectly acceptable fault provided that an individual could bear the responsibility of those failures. Law enforcement officials asked Kancheli to answer the questions about the construction of Transvaal Park. What became apparent to them during the course of their investigation was that before the foundations of the park had ever been laid, fundamental problems in the design had been approved. And this would prove to be the key in understanding how the building failed terribly, especially when it had only been completed two years prior. A simple explanation of the faults was made public. Experienced engineers agreed that there were two design methods for a water park such as Transvaal Park. The Finnish method and the Turkish method. The difference of note between the two is that Finnish construction takes the presence of extreme low temperatures into account, while Turkish construction does not. Why would Nodar Kincheli and the project lead for the park have chosen the method with such a glaring design flaw? The Turkish method was cheaper. That, at least, was the case to be made against Kincheli. For his part, the architect felt that he was being railroaded, He resented the accusation and held firm to the decisions he made in the design process. Almost a year after the collapse, an investigation into whether Cancelli was criminally liable for the wrongful deaths of the park patrons was launched. This finally seemed to have the pacifying effect that Moscow so desperately needed. Media reported on the design problems with the building and named Cancelli along with an official who had approved the plans. The investigation closed after a few months without prosecuting either of the two men, lending some credence to the suggestion that they were given up as scapegoats to the public. The site of Transvaal Park is now home to a brand new enterprise, Marian Water Park. The facility boasts an even more impressive collection of pools, spas and slides and is quoted by patrons as the perfect place to spend a day. Two years later, almost to the day, The high-domed roof of the Basmani market in Moscow collapsed, killing 47 people in an almost identical incident of the tragedy of Transvaal Park. The architect of Basmani market? Nodar Kancheli. This particular structure was not a recent build. The building had been completed in the 70s and had served a number of functions throughout the years. 
Once again, Cancelli found his name and reputation being dragged through the mud as investigators demanded answers as to how such a devastating event could have occurred. It was assumed a similar design flaw was the cause. Although similar incidents throughout Northern Europe suggested that extraordinary build-ups of snow could be a bigger factor. This time, Nodar Cancelli offered his own explanation for the tragedy. Terrorists. I'm Holly Mitchell, and you've been listening to Fairground Fuck-Ups. We're taking a break next week, but we'll be back the week after with another new episode. 